Hello and welcome to Act the Age, a podcast for two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Tasia. And I'm Corinne. So today we have a special bonus episode where we are talking to Brandy June, who is the author of the upcoming YA fantasy Goldspun, which is due to be released on June 8th. But before we get into the interview, we want to give just a really quick spoiler-free blurb. This one is lifted directly from Goodreads. So uh, Corinne, take it away. All right. So Goldspun is a Rumpelstiltskin retelling, and this is the synopsis of it. If Nor can't spin gold, she can always spin lies. When 17-year-old Nor rescues a captured fairy in the woods, he gifts her with a magical golden thread she can use to summon him for a favor. Instead, Nor uses it for a con to convince villagers to buy straw that can be transformed into gold. Her trick works a little too well, attracting the suspicion of Prince Casper, who hates nobody more than a liar. Intent on punishing Nor, he demands that she spin a room of straw into gold, and as her reward, he will marry her. Should she refuse or fail, the consequences will be dire. So we were really grateful to Brandy, who sent us advanced copies of the book, and we were really excited to get a chance to talk with her about the book itself and her journey to publication and the inspiration for this, again, Rumpelstiltskin retelling. And we really enjoyed talking to her. So here is our interview with Brandy June. And now we are really excited to be joined by the author of Goldsman, Brandy June. Hi, Brandy. Hi, happy to be here. Thanks so much for joining us. If you wouldn't mind starting off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your journey to ultimately writing this book. Certainly. So I actually started as wanting to be an actor. When I was a little kid, I was in plays all the time. It's what I wanted to do. I went to UCLA for acting. I had a great time, but realized I wasn't making ends meet that way. So I went back to school for marketing. During the day, I market kids, films, and anime. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so what I realized kind of the through line there was that I really enjoyed storytelling in whatever form it took with acting. I felt like I got to embody the stories. And then after that, I started writing some short stories uh, with a theater company I was with. They started doing short play nights where initially I was like, I can't write a whole play, but I could write 10 pages. Sure. And that got me me into playwriting and short stories. And what I was realizing is that I was really loving kind of being in the driver's seat of actually of creating what the story is. So that really got me into writing. I participated in NaNoWriMo, which is National Mm -hmm. Novel Writing Month. Uh, Mm -hmm. For anyone who doesn't know, it's the challenge to write 50,000 words in the month of November. So I did that. And the first time I did it, I wrote 50,000 words. It's, It's a draft that of another novel that will probably never see the light of day, but it really, <laughs> but it really gave me the confidence of like, oh yeah, if I, I keep writing, eventually I'll have a book. So that's yeah. really what, what started my journey. And then for Goldspun, uh, one year for Nano, I gave myself the challenge of writing a short story based on mythology or fairy tales for every letter of the alphabet. Oh, oh cool. I didn't get to 26 stories, but I did get to R, which was Rumpelstiltskin for me. And so the short story was wanting to flip, you know, kind of flip the script of what if Rumpelstiltskin was the hero of the story. So it gave me a a different way of looking at it. And then while Goldspun is not is not that story, it, it inspired Goldspun to really dig deeper into these characters. That's really interesting because I always 
sort of saw Rumpelstiltskin like that, like in in the original Mm -hmm. traditional story, like I feel like he just kind of gets the fuzzy end of the lollipop, right? Like he helps her all Mm -hmm. these times and then just, you know, she doesn't want to go through with her deal. So she screws him over. And I always felt like, like, that's not cool. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be making him the bad guy, but I didn't feel like that. I felt like he just got kind of screwed. Yeah. And in the, in the short story, he was definitely the hero. And now in, in Goldspun, all of my characters are a bit more morally gray because yeah. I love morally gray characters. And and for me, I always felt that the Miller's daughter really got screwed because mm-hmm. she's not given a name and she's told that she has to spend gold. She's not the one who who makes these ridiculous claims as her dad and then the king locks her up so and she doesn't even get a name in a story yeah. all about names so in this oh. one i really wanted her to drive the action so she's in goldspun she's a con artist and you know she has her reasons for doing it and you know i i love her but you know it's also making her the one driving the action and her the one somewhat culpable in the fact that people think she can spin gold because she's been kind of lying to people telling them she can Yeah. So when it came to developing Nora as a character then, because she is kind of a blank slate in the original story, what sources or inspirations did you have in kind of crafting her into who she ultimately ends up being in the novel? What I did when I started was kind of, I wanted to take a look at the three main characters, the King, Rumpelstiltskin, and the Miller's daughter, who's Nora in my book, and really deepen their all of their backstories and their motivation. So I was trying to think of how could she drive the action? How could she take the lead in her life, even if she doesn't always make best choices, but still wanting to make her empathetic? So what could, you know, what could drive her to do these things, these, you know, somewhat devious things, at least, especially in the beginning, but give her, you know, a solid reason for doing so. And and in this case, I had to say, you know, if she was stuck in a terrible situation, it's a it starts as sort of this war ravaged country where you know she's an orphan with her brothers you know trying to steal cheat and con to make ends meet that her actions are are not necessarily noble in themselves but it comes from a place of wanting to protect and you know support her brothers i i very much wanted kind of family to be something of an element in this story so you know they're trying to basically protect their own yeah so fascinating. Like fairy tale retellings aren't necessarily new, but this isn't one I had seen before at all, which, which is so it's really interesting to see like how much more the world can be expanded. Like you get Be- Beauty and the Beast retellings all the time, things like that, more, I guess, more popular in pop culture type retellings mm-hmm. all the time. But this one seems like a really interesting one to dive into it. Yeah, you know, I've always loved fairy tale retellings, like fairy tales and fairy tale retellings. And that sort of, you know, I think the really good ones do that, walk that line, which hopefully I've done here of you give the readers something that feels old and almost sacred in the way that's been passed down of generations. You're like, this feels somewhat familiar, but at the same time, you're giving readers a new experience, a new story. Nothing has delighted me more than having some of my early readers come back and be like, oh, I, I, so didn't expect such and such to happen. I was just thinking that, you know, like like you were saying, Corinne, that we do see a lot of fairy tale retellings, but you never really see Rumpelstiltskin approached again because it seems like the, the source material is just sort of really cut and dry. It's a short story. But I really like the way that you expanded this world and, you know, involved the Fae 
I just thought it was really, really well done. I, w- I will say too, if you like Rumpelstiltskin retelling, Spinning Silver by Naomi Novak. Have read that, yes. I love it. I, I actually, I had already drafted Goldspun when I heard it was coming out because, mm-hmm. you know, the story's been years in the works and one publisher actually rejected Goldspun because they said, oh, we already have a, a you know, Rumpelstiltskin retelling. And on one hand, like, but my story's very different. But on the other, I'm like, well, Spinning Silver was really fantastic, so... And it doesn't feel as much of a Rumpelstiltskin retelling as yours does. A nod to it versus Mm -hmm. like a full-on retelling. I feel like that one falls more in adult fantasy as opposed to just YA. But again, like like you said, I don't necessarily view it as, oh, you can only have one retelling. Because I know for me, if there's something I enjoy, I want, you know, all sorts of different flavors of it. That was actually going to be one of my other questions. Then, you know, why, why a, why was that where you decided to focus Goldspun? I, I never stopped reading or loving YA since I was a teenager. I, it's still something I, I love to consume. I love to live in those worlds. And I feel like with YA, you know, not to make generalizations on adult fantasy, I've, you know, I really enjoy some adult fantasy as well. But with YA, sometimes there's almost more of a sense of, optimism of being able to take on the world's problems in a way that you're experiencing things for, you know, many things for the first time you're kind of coming, the characters oftentimes are coming into their own. And sometimes I don't want to overgeneralize, you know, with adult fiction, there can be kind of a more jaded sense. And I just, I love the the idea that you can kind of take, really take control of of your destiny and really, you know, make these changes in the world. And so for me, that's just a really exciting experience, at least in fantasy. (laughs) That's a really good way to put it. That is a really good way to put it. And I I think too, I think then on the same note, the protagonist's own growth is a good way to introduce world building because they're experiencing the world for the first time as they grow up. And it's a natural way to have, your reader follow along and and grow with them and grow in the world in a way that doesn't feel like you're just being plopped into an already established world with already st- mm-hmm. established characters, which I think sometimes happens with with adult fantasy. Which yeah. I totally agree. We're, we're we're big YA fantasy fans here on this podcast. It's not our intended focus. It's just how it ends up. I you know I try to read widely and but most of what I read is, is YA fantasy and. It was it was interesting because, you know, something that I focused on writing this book, you know, is is seeing Noor's arc throughout the story, um, which I feel gets more to got more defined as I, you know, finish drafts and, and revised of, you know, what are her goals at the beginning versus the end? And how is she, you know, how is she growing as a, as a character and as a person? I think it all works really well and it, it's really fun to track her progress through that. One of the things though, I think that struck us at the end, and I don't know how much you can say in terms of like future books, but it seems like there's more story to tell here, perhaps without giving anything away about this, the plot of this particular book. Is there anything you can say about future plans for this world? There is, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't finalized when I first reached out to you guys, but, you know, as of, I think just this week, it has officially been announced that Camcat has picked up the sequel for Goldspun. Great. 
Uh, congratulations. Yeah. Congrats. That's awesome. So, well, that's super exciting because yeah, again, it mm-hmm. felt like there was a, a there's more there more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually had a call with the, my editor about a week ago to kind of go over Cause I had a very, very rough draft that I worked on like right after I wrote Goldspun. So it's been a little while and I'm revisiting it in between promoting Goldspun and kind of realizing what changes need to be made and what direction the story goes because regardless of sort of what happened something that's very important to me is I want you know by the end of the series the reader to feel very satisfied because mm-hmm. I know Goldspun leaves a lot of people wanting more mm-hmm. uh, I, I hope it is a, a satisfied reading on its own but there is still a lot more story to tell for Noor and her adventures. And I can say, you know, there's quite a bit more that we learn about, about the Fae and, and the fairy lands, which is sort of in the first book, kind of this big, scary unknown. And it was very fun. I actually was able to talk to my editor and the woman who drew the map, who took my little hand sketch thing that I was using to kind of keep track for myself and, and hand illustrate this gorgeous map and cool. something I was very uh, insisted on something that was important to me is that, you know, the Fey lands look very mysterious and dangerous and, you know, fall off the world monstery in the way that, you know, some of the old maps used to be in areas that were unexplored of like, you go too far and you get eaten by a sea monster. Ah, well, that's really, that's super exciting news. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's great to know, uh, especially then listeners, when you pick up this book, when it comes out here in a couple of weeks, you can rest easy. <laughs> Unlike uh, we did, because we did not know. Yeah. <laughs> <until just> now. <laughs> so that's very <laughs> exciting. Wanted to ask you also though, Randy, again, because you, it's it sounds like you can, you came to writing a little bit later after like trying mm-hmm. multiple different things. How was the journey to publication? You talked again about some rejections you got along mm-hmm. the way and, and how did that all work out for you? Well, I'd say ultimately it worked out great. Great. Yeah. Coming <laughs> out, so fantastic. But I will say it was a long journey with lots of rejections. You know, my first manuscript that I pitched, I pitched to agents for you know, probably a year over a year, got a ton of rejections. The agent who did end up signing with me actually rejected it the first time around. But I got to know him in person at conferences. And so eventually he said, if you want some notes, I'll send them to you. If you want to make changes, I'll take another look. So I did. And he ended up signing for that book. And that book was sent to publishers for probably about a year. And I got a ton of delightfully nice rejections. (laughs) You know, uh, they were the nicest rejections I've ever got. They were like, oh, this is very funny and witty, but not quite right for us or something. And it was, you know, I would, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't disheartening. And, you know, I've definitely had moments where I was wondering if anyone would want to read my stuff ever, which I think I realized even then was somewhat hyperbolic, but I think (laughs) it's a very real feeling a lot of creatives have of, You know, I just want people to love my art. Right. But what the things that really helped keep me going is I would focus on what I could control. So once the first manuscript was being, you know, out of my hands as with the agent, with publishers, I couldn't control that. I couldn't make them say yes. So as soon as that one was out, I started writing Goldspun because I figured even, you know, even if my first book doesn't sell, maybe my second or my third or my fourth will. Um, So I was, instead of 
instead of just worrying about whether or not the first one would sell, at least I could focus on like, okay, part of me will worry about that. But the rest of me is going to focus on my next book. And which was really helpful because the first one, you know, it hasn't sold. It may never sell. It may someday sell. But if I had put all my hopes and dreams into just that, that would have been the end of my writing career before it started. So that was helpful. I'd say another thing, especially as I was getting into this a bit later in life, um, you know, I'm not going to say you're ever too old to start writing because that's a fallacy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, seeing people much younger than myself publishing, and I know you're not supposed to compare yourself to other people's journeys, which is something I recommend to other people, but it's definitely easier said than done. You know, if you're seeing someone years younger, sell their first book in a week and make the bestseller list. So you're like, oh gosh, what if I don't do that? And having to take a step back and realize that that's, you know, my journey is different. Uh, On one hand, sure, I would have loved to sold a bestseller at 19, but I didn't even know I wanted to be a writer then. I've gotten a lot of different life experience since then. My time as an actor, while I'm not, you know, making my living as an actor, it's given me a way of in, uh, embodying characters when I'm imagining my characters and when I'm, you know, setting scenes. My editor told me I had a very theatrical view of writing. Mm-hmm. And something else is I listened to a lot of interviews of Lee Bardugo. I was thinking of Lee because she sold Shadow and Bone later in life right. comparatively. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love her writing but I found her most inspiring in her interviews talking about, you know, how she says, you know, there's no expiration date on your talent. Try to, you know, appreciate every milestone because it's so easy to just move the goalposts back and back and back of, Oh, I just want to finish a book. Great. I finished it. Now I want an agent. Oh, I got one. Okay. But now what I really want and to try to take, take in each achievement of, Oh my gosh, I wrote a book. That's amazing. You know, not, everyone can say that. So I actually, um, this is kind of a weird fangirl thing of mine. I had the writer's digest interview of her with her on the cover that I actually took to one of her signings to have her sign. And she wrote that, you know, your talent has no expiration date on it. And so I actually have that framed in my, my home office that I look up to. And whenever I'm feeling, you know, like, Oh, I'm behind. I look up and go, I'm not behind. I'm on my own path. Yeah. So oh, I love that. That's a great story. She seems wonderful. And, yeah. and again, that is such a good inspiration to think, oh yeah, this it it can happen whenever mm-hmm. and as long as the stories are good, they'll they'll find their readers and their yeah. audience eventually. And that's great. Yeah. Oh, and I know how hard it is to not compare to other authors and other people, especially when you just see their success, because you know, we're posting mostly our success. I don't you know, generally post, oh, got rejected by five publishers today. Right. Winning. Right. Um, <laughs> so I know it, it's it's something I, you know, I tell other people, you know, other other writers who talk to me, but it's also something I have to remind myself to keep in mind. Right. That's all very helpful <laughs> to th- keep in mind and think about mm-hmm. as someone who constantly has story ideas percolating, but have not done anything else to, to get to that point. The other thing I'd say that was helpful for me, which I don't think has to do with any age, but to give myself permission to write a really, really messy first draft. 
Mm. And I think being involved with Nano helped with that because you don't have time to self-edit when you're writing 50,000 words in a month. You just write. Um, So I don't write. Nowadays, I don't write that quickly. But I do give myself the permission to be like, this is going to be a mess. I'm not going to care about grammar. I'm not really even going to care about flow. I'm I'm just going to write it because I have to write the first draft before I can edit it, before I can make it polished and pretty. Because if I get too stuck on making sure this part's perfect before I move on, I won't move on. I actually had a question about, I think one of the things that Goldspun does really well is have this sort of really casual diversity. Like it's not like pointing to itself, like, hey, you see what I did there? Mm-hmm. See all these uh, diverse representations I've included here. It's just, it just exists in the world, which is I think how it should be. Um, so I was wondering how you approached that. Thank you. I, I'm glad that I'm glad that that's how you read it because that is definitely the the goal of mine, and something I've been very uh, conscientious of in you know, and something I have given a lot of thought and consideration to, and something I've been trying to do due diligence as far as listening to people of of color and of sexualities different than my own, and ways to. Because for me, it, it's always that it's that really important balance of I want to create worlds that are diverse, but I don't want to I, I, I don't want to steal other people's stories. I don't want to tell stories that aren't mine to tell. But at the same time, I don't want to create a world of characters that look just like me. Um, right. Because that would be boring if it was a cast of nothing but like white, straight Jewish girls. Um, (laughs) very clone like so for me it was you know important to have it in there but it is not um, it is not a story just based on someone's experience uh, of something that focuses on them in a way that is different from myself so there are two characters two female characters who are in a relationship um and while that does affect them in the story, it is not, you know, the entire story is not about them discovering their relationship. Um, it is just something that exists in the world because it exists with people. Yeah, exactly. So including it has been very important to me. I'd say some of the ways that I have tried to go about it conscientiously because I, I am not, you know, I'm in no way perfect and always learning is. I have, you know, I try to listen. I've also have some some good friends, uh, some of my writing group people who life experiences are different than my own. And, you know, we are in a close enough friendship that we're okay asking each other questions. You know, so I have that. I have, you know, some people who's, you know, backgrounds different than my own, also beta reading. And another thing I do is just dig into who these characters are beyond what is different from myself and how how of course that affects them but also how that is not the only thing that defines them right it's part of their identity but it is not the entirety yeah yes because I want you know very much I find that anytime I I dig you know try to dig deeper into a character's background try to really make them a person as opposed to just a trope or a stereotype that's always been very helpful for me as far as creating characters that to me feel more real. Yeah. You know, there is never one thing that defines you. And I know, you know, you're limited as to what you can 
dig into in a character if they're a smaller character in the story and you're dealing with lots of characters, but the more specific I find I can make their lives, the more they feel like a person and less like, oh, here's my token so-and-so. Right. Right. That's a really good way to, it seems like, to avoid tokenism, which I think comes up Mm -hmm. a lot of times. And it didn't feel like, (laughs) it didn't feel like that. uh, I don't think in this book. And that's great because it's one of those things where you kind of like, when you read something, it's hard to articulate when it's wrong, but you just like know it when you see it type thing. And that seems like a really conscientious approach that, you know, a person is not just their, you know, marginalizations or their specific identities. It's mm-hmm. the whole of them. I've been, you know, try to try to do the best I can. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have our limits in our own experiences, but um, again, mm-hmm. the intentionality is half the battle. I think a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. I, I know this is really putting the cart before the horse in a lot of ways. And it's obviously so exciting that you will get to play more in this particular sandbox and tell more of North story, but in the future, do you envision yourself uh, continuing again with fairy tale retellings or really you have ideas that go beyond that or what can we expect in the future from Brandy June? I mean, I have always loved mythology and fairy tales. Uh, the first manuscript I wrote was one with, it was set modern day, but if all gods and creatures of mythology existed and it wasn't a secret, like, you know, it's just the, Centaur works at the DMV and yeah. it was, <laughs> and I have another play that's a like rom-com based of the Cupid and Psyche Greek myth. Oh, fun. Oh, nice. Uh, so I definitely love playing there and I think I will go back there frequently. I do have another piece that I'm working on because again, once, you know, once something's out of my hands, I usually need to work on something else or I'll drive myself nuts wondering <laughs> what other people are going to say. So I I have been working on something that's sort of Victorian-esque with magic and sisters who live at a theater. I love theater. I love everything that you're saying. I know. I was (laughs) like, you had me at Victorian. Yeah. Yeah, I I I really, I was really having fun playing with sort of this idea of like, you know, with, with wife, with fantasy, you know, kind of playing with this idea of like, what is stage magic? What is sort of that illusion versus what is, going to be you know actual real magic in this world and I really wanted to focus on sisters and family but also magic and theater so fun I I really feel like fantasy is is really my jam um (laughs) mainly YA but I've, I've definitely had some ideas of like oh this might this other story might be adult or this might be middle grade but yeah I think that's that's kind of what I have in in mind right now but you know there's there's so many story ideas and only so much time but right um, well that all sounds incredible and we'll be sure to be on the lookout but (laughs) first things first obviously again just tell everyone when goldsmith's out where they can get it awesome yeah so it it comes out june 8th available pretty much anywhere online highly recommend if your local bookstore does online orders or calling your local bookstore but yeah anywhere online i'm also doing a pre-order campaign for anyone that goes to brandyjune.com and it's brandy with an ie cuz everyone spells my name wrong <laughs> we're familiar with that Paige and i have that problem often with our own names so yes, yes. <laughs> you, you, you never you never get that like customized keychain at the uh, right stop <laughs> yeah still better <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yes, I have a a pre-order campaign right now for anyone who 
buys the book in, you know, whatever format. And I have a form and I will send you like a, a bookmark and a map and a door hanger. And for the door hanger, my best friend is a costume designer and actually hand painted this beautiful image of Noor in a big ball gown during, you know, the scene, because so much why fantasy has the scene with the yeah. dress. So yeah. <laughs> the dress. And also if anyone gets the ebook or even if they request it or just check it out from the library, I will also send, I'll send the map postcards because I wanted to do something for people to check it out from the library, get an ebook, or if you buy the the physical book, I'll send you the door hanger and a bookmark. I love Great. that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations again on the news for the next book, but congratulations on this particular release. It's, it's so exciting. And thank you so much for joining us here today. If you want to um, also drop, you know, where our listeners can connect with you online, Instagram website. Yeah, pretty much any, anywhere at, you know, if you look at Brandy June um, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, I recently joined uh TikTok and yes. I have a, a small account, but I have just, I've just absolutely been loving the book talk community. Uh, it, took talk. Me, it took me a while to get into it. And I actually started getting into it because I was um, reaching out to some TikTokers to see, you know, if they would be interested in an arc um, to review Goldspun. And then I just discovered that, you know, it's this delightful, you know, generally wonderful, sunshiny community of, of book lovers, which kind of surprised me because the internet, but yeah. it's like, oh, this is great. I want to see all your, your rainbow bookshelves. Well, again, thank you, Brandy, so much. This is, this is so great to chat with you. And uh, yeah, everyone check out Goldspun when it comes out on June 8th. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Brandy for joining us. We really love chatting with her and don't forget to check out Goldspun when it comes out on June 8th. Meantime, Teja, remind our listeners what we will be covering next week on the podcast. So next week, we will be covering Mr. Impossible by Maggie Steve Otter, and we are going to try to keep our shit together. Try being the operative word there because <laughs> we have no chill. Again, as you know, if you listen to any of our podcasts ever, but particularly about the Raven <laughs> Cycle, we all have no chill, but it's fine. It, it'll be fine. Before we go, Teja, where can our listeners find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at RagyCakes. And I'm on Instagram at Rin underscore Reads. You can find the podcast at Act Your Age on Instagram and Twitter, or you can shoot us an email at actyourhpod at gmail.com. Um, if you also wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate that. Um, other than that, we'll see you next week. Bye, friends. Bye.